For this special bonus episode, we welcomed Cam McLean to the podcast. I hope that you enjoy our interview. Recording is in progress. Now I can officially welcome you to Why Not Both. There we go. I consent <laughs> to be record- recorded. There we are. <laughs> so are we going to get the skunk story at the beginning of the podcast or the end of the podcast? Wow. Well, I mean... I- <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's get let's get the skunk story out of the way. I mean, the the preamble being that you were adopted, I guess, by a family of skunks. Yes, yes, yeah. that I I have turned into a feral Disney princess. <laughs> <laughs> so I so I and I was saying that uh, tomato juice it does not do the trick when it comes to getting rid of the stench, which I suppose is a is an urban legend and. Uh, because I was sprayed by a skunk just very slightly while working in a field with with a group of kids, which I which I used to do uh, a fair bit more. One of my uh, many somewhat music related, somewhat music therapy adjacent jobs. Uh, but I was working in a in a sort of just sort of an open open field, a very sort of biodiverse field in Montreal, where I used to work with a, with a group of kids and. Uh, I think I think stepped on a on a layer or a or a den or whatever it is that their yes whatever name their home is uh, is given and uh, received just a, just a slight initial spray and then I got out of the, <laughs> the stench just you know still lingers in my uh, memory very strongly and even appears in my dreams so there you what? go. What? <laughs> in what context are you just like you know going through your dream life and all of a sudden you're like whoo wow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it definitely appears sort of in a sort of cognitively dissonant way in some of my dreams where I'm having a, a very mundane dream about, say, being in the grocery store or something or 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 meeting a friend and, and chatting. And then and then all of a sudden it's as though in the dream I'm I'm utterly covered in, in, uh, in skunk juice or whatever it is. So I love that your olfactory memory kicks in at that point is like, ah, yes. This is the plot point. This is the plot point this dream needs. <laughs> I know it's like this dream is really boring. So yes, we'll make it more exciting. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I was just like, I wonder what Young would have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And I love that you said that it was the that it was one of the many intersections between music and therapy, because that is, that is in fact why you're here is that you are another therapist who is also a musician. And I am a therapist who's a musician. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, to, to unpack that a bit, just initially what I'm doing right now is going, going back to school in order to be uh, eventually accredited to be a music therapist, but I've been working uh, aside from all my ongoing session work as a musician and my work with my own, with my solo project and also previously with my other band, Vesuvio Solo, uh, I have done, yeah, music educate, education for a long time and, and guitar teaching, but things that were, became progressively much more just sort of within the ballpark of Either, you know, either something resembling music therapy, also play therapy, doing a lot of work with kids that uh, that involved sort of, uh, for instance, using using loose parts, uh, sort of random objects to make noise, you know, loose parts being a very play therapy uh, 
oriented sort of thing where you, you know, you have kids play with, uh, you know, objects that don't necessarily uh, sort of tell you how they should be used as it were. And, and so I, uh, I, yeah, I used to, for example, I used to work with a number of uh, community organizations and, and uh, doing this thing that I sort of casually called noise club that was, um, and I did it in, in public schools, also with community centers. And um, I haven't, haven't done with the, with the, with the pandemic, but uh, so, but I had, I had done this until, until the end of 2019, I guess, before I, I um, started doing some session work and then the pandemic started, but basically noise club was kind of a jamming session for kids, often, uh, often children with uh, intellectual disabilities um, and that involved free play and music making with conventional instruments and also with, again, sort of loose parts and, you know, mm-hmm. whether they be just sticks and stones or cardboard pieces or random uh, plastic items and, and, and discovering that the sort of, um, I mean, that intersection between what I previously, I guess, would have thought of as, as sort of pure noise or something that, that uh, <laughs> seemed more pure noise and music has become, I mean, yeah, it's become so much more uh, strong. And I definitely don't, I mean, the music I make is still relatively, you know, tonally conventional and all that, but I'm, but I find that, um, yeah, I, I really, I, I've, I've appreciated both music making and noise making with, and, and, you know, and also not making that distinction between the two with uh, young children in particular. And so, I, uh, yeah, I mean, and, you know, going back to school and intending on becoming a music therapist and hopefully doing both more of that and, you know, other things as well. And yeah, that's sort of where I'm at as I continue to make my, make and release my own music as well. So, yeah. I'm so curious, what inspired you to do that, to make, I love that you are like, it's like basically like noise jams. And I love that. And I was like, what inspired you to do that? And what effect did it have, not just on the kids, but also like what effect did it have on you to be a part of that? I mean, the, the, the effect that it had on me was, um, well, for one thing, I think I've always needed, even before I did that, when I was either just teaching music privately, which I still do, or, uh, or doing other being involved in, I mean, I think I've always needed uh, additional community uh, entrenched music related activities to kind of inspire my own music making or inspire me to write songs and, mm-hmm. and also just to be just just to want to practice. I mean, I'm mainly a, a you know, guitarist and also a singer songwriter, but multi instrumentalist mm-hmm. too, do all kinds of stuff, but just to practice and just to, which of course can be so tedious yeah, I mean, it inspired me, especially these these endless <laughs> free form jams with, with children. Inspired me to to practice in a different way and to work on music in a different way. And to, um, of course, spontaneity is always a big part of the creative process. But to give myself over to that even more wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. and to give myself over to. Uh, you know, the kind of inspiration that needs to begin with sort of, you know, turning off that, <laughs> that logical part of your brain that we're, you know, all using all the time and just, 
you know, of course, employing it later when I go in and, and workshop my songs and record them and all that, but learning to, you know, uh, almost completely, um, yeah, turn off that desire to control what I'm doing mm-hmm. to you know, a really conscious extent while I'm making music. That's, I think that's one of the big effects it's has had on me for sure, working with, uh, with children. I love that because, yeah, I was curious then because you are kind of combining then your interests and in, like in therapy and in music. And I find that intriguing because people often ask me like, oh, so are you a music therapist? And I'm like, no, like I'm a musician and a therapist, but it's like I hadn't combined them. And that's really interesting to think about how the intersection actually informs then how you practice music and how you're approaching music. Yeah. And, and again, the sort of the, the, the play idea and, and also relating to play therapy. I did a while ago, a few years back when I was working for, when I was mainly aside from uh, music making, I was doing, I was working for a particular community organization and we all had to do this training program, uh, this play worker training program, which is a play work is a big, much bigger thing in the UK and in Europe than it is in North America, but it's, it's uh and sort of emerged, uh, I think, in, in in London after the Second World War, or, to, or maybe perhaps even during the Second World War, or towards the end of it, when there was all kinds of bombed out areas of the city, and 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 educators observed children playing in these sort of seemingly chaotic, uh, you know, uh, landscapes or cityscapes yeah. that emerged from that, and, and emerged or, or and, and observed that the play that they were engaging in was 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 particularly free and creative. And, huh. um, you know, of course I'm not, I've never worked with <laughs> in bombed out uh, landscapes right. or, or anything, but, <laughs> but I did definitely take a lot of inspiration from that whole uh, training that I received. And, and also just even in, not, not only in, again, the sort of noise club kind of stuff that I was doing and other uh more uh, other 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 activity with children in groups making music and noise and jamming but also just in my one-on-one teaching with uh with children i mean i i i always like to even if i'm doing for example uh like i have a student who or could be an adult as well who wants to learn classical guitar say very formally and you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll help them with that. You know, well, even though I'm not primarily a classical guitarist, but I, I will also always incorporate jamming improvisation and a sort of sense of, of, uh, you know, feeling the music perhaps before thinking about it or intellectualizing it or focusing on the notes on the page too much. So, yeah. And I, and I find that that works not with everybody, of course, so people are different, but with, with a, a lot of people, a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, approaching it as though, you know, it's a language and you need to speak it before you write it. And of course, there's all kinds of music training methods like the Suzuki method and so on that speak to that. But um, I, yeah, I just, uh, I'm very, <laughs> I feel, I feel almost as though I'm in high school again, you know, when I, when I tell them, I think about these things, like I just, I love jamming and just, you know, I mean, I worked for so many years very seriously with bands mm-hmm rehearsing and going and doing going through the minutia of all the little things we needed to perfect which was so great but I feel like I've in recent years returned to that sort of you know beginner's mind of sort of jamming just just loving jamming and loving uh, starting with that 
That's wonderful the way you put it as the beginner's mind, because when at least I know when I'm approaching music, like if I approach it too intellectually or with too much structure, it just negates the magic of it. And like, I have to just like follow the magic of a song and follow the magic of a feeling as opposed to being like, okay, this is how this is going to go. It's like when you try to control a song, the song's like, no. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> and I'm curious, what was your experience when you learned music? Like, did you learn in more of like kind of that structured manner or did you learn based on like improvising and jamming? Like what was your background in music when you were a kid? Yeah, so I, I I grew up in a, not a tremendously, but I would say a fairly musical family. Everyone played sort of a bit. Um, my I played a lot with my my aunt, for instance, who was also a guitarist. And um, she was sort of an informal teacher for sure. I started taking formal guitar lessons at uh, 13, but I always, I, I already played a bit of ukulele and guitar. I'd started at with ukulele, I think at five, just sort of figuring things out on my own. But, but yeah, interestingly enough, when I started, um, when I started taking formal lessons, it was with, with a guy who was an amazing player. Um, this is, was in, uh, <laughs> no, no one will know where this is. Uh, but this is, this is I, I grew up near the, uh, mostly I grew up a bunch of different places, but I grew up mostly near the Detroit Windsor border. I grew up about half an hour from Windsor in a little town called Chatham. And, and there was a guy there who, um, who was my teacher who, yeah, was, uh, was actually severely dyslexic and he was primarily a classical guitarist, but he taught the reading of music and the understanding of music therapy in kind of unconventional ways. And, and, and he, <laughs> I, I assume he knew what he was talking about. He attributed his unconventional way of teaching to his dyslexia. And even oh, though, wow. yeah. And even though we primarily did, um, you know, we did like conservatory guitar kind of stuff. We, and a bit of jazz as well, but mainly classical guitar. It was, uh, with him as well. It wasn't quite, you know, <laughs> jamming in the way that I just romanticized, but it was, there was definitely a lot of, you know, I would go in with my, to do my half hour lesson with him every Monday or whatever it was. And it was, we would start just by sort of playing or I would walk in and he would be playing something and I would watch him play it and I would immediately try and imitate it. And he didn't mm -hmm. stop doing that, which a lot of more classical teachers, of course, would, they would sort of yeah. get down to business. And I really appreciated that about him. And I also didn't learn, to, I didn't learn to read music, uh, well, quote unquote, properly through him. I, I sort of, I needed to play a lot of catch up later. Yes. Um, but, you know, we always looked at the music, but I was always mainly looking at him, looking at him playing, <laughs> imitating him. And he didn't seem to mind. And I, and again, he, he was aware that he had, you know, as he, <laughs> I think, put it, unconventional methods. And uh, yeah, I think that I think that that, uh, you know, I suppose I hadn't really quite thought about it until now, to be honest, but I, I suppose in a way that informs what I'm talking about, too, or having had that. I think it definitely informed my ability and capacity to, to improvise. Obviously, a lot of classically trained musicians find it really hard to improvise. And yes. You know, and just looking at him and, and having, you know, having that sort of oral tradition element be front and center even even 
more than, or at least before then, the sort of more, more, more literate, I guess, um, conventional classical training came in. That was really, I think, really, really helpful for me, for sure. Yeah, it's so interesting that he says he was unconventional. That was actually very much like my first piano teacher, <laughs> where she, yeah, she just didn't stop me from mimicking what she was doing. And even prior to taking lessons with her, I would just listen to what my sister was playing and then like copy what she was doing. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 12 that I got a new piano teacher who was like, oh, you play so lyrically, please sight read this piece. And I was like, hmm? Cause I would use the music to kind of like spot check. Like if there was something that I couldn't quite remember, I'd like sort it out using the sheet music, but I wasn't really like reading the sheet music. I was using it as reference for my ear. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And so then, I mean, I did end up taking a lot more like music theory courses and I would say like, I'm very grateful for the knowledge that I, that I acquired in those and through my other piano teacher. But I think had I started with her, I don't think I would have still played music because in a way it was like imbalanced and that her focus was so strongly on the technique and on the sheet music and all of that, that it took a lot of the joy out of it. Um, and so I agree with you that in a way, like the only reason I can improvise at all is not because of my classical training. It's not that I learned the rules so I could break them. It's that I didn't know the rules <laughs> and yeah. only encountered them later and was like, Oh, cool. There's names for these structures that I inherently know about. That's wonderful. That, that enables me to talk to other musicians about them. That's great. But like, it's not that it then um, lent complexity to my ideas. It just gave me a vocabulary. Um, and if I, I think if I had started the other way around, like I might've just played music for myself. Like I wouldn't have necessarily played for other people because it was kind of a, it was like a spiritless endeavor. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, I think it's a relatively, you know, universal experience. I mean, you know, I think we all know so many people probably who, you know, oh, I took piano lessons as a kid and I just couldn't get into it. And I think, yeah, uh, again, of course, for some people, it absolutely works to just be completely logical about it, completely theory oriented from the beginning. But I think, yeah, for so many people, it's, it's, uh, there, <laughs> this, this sort of joy of music can be stripped away so easily, especially when you start as a child and you just want to play music and then it's hyper intellectualized from the start. Yeah. I love that you gave kids that opportunity to have the opposite of that because, and even imagining like kids kind of playing in the chaos of rubble, um, because when you're a child, you don't know that that's necessarily a bad chaos. It just sort of is, you just kind of come into the landscape being like, well, here we are. Um, and so same thing with like, if you provide kids with just these objects, they're like, cool, some objects. <laughs> sure, yeah. 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 Yeah, and it's sort of, and, <laughs> yeah, and the way that the object <laughs> yeah, become a sort of weird extension of themselves. It's really cool to see. Yeah, but I mean, currently in my in my in my private music teaching as as a as a guitar teacher mainly, it's I actually don't have any. I, I typically in the past have had some, but actually all of my students currently are kids who don't read, either don't read any music or who are already. Uh, reading music on another instrument and taking yeah. guitar lessons with me supplementarily and just only wanting to just jam and, and learn. You know, I have one student, for instance, who, who only wants to learn how to play every Taylor Swift song. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we do. And there's never, and I'm not giving her, you know, a, a, a you know piece of music to look at. We're just, yeah. I'm just showing her and she's doing it. So, oh my gosh. And, 
Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's great. I mean, and I, uh, you know, you know, and not that in the past I haven't enjoyed looking at a, say a challenging piece of music with some student of mine, but it's uh, yeah, again, there's a lot of things that are leading up to, for me in the past couple of years in particular, sort of getting back to the basics and reconnecting with, you know, a more spontaneous side of music making, music teaching, and also sort of therapy related kind of stuff too, that, um, you know, is, is, yeah, is for sure informing my own songwriting and making me want to write, you know, really outside the box. I mean, I've started to, I kind of mentioned this maybe at the beginning, but I've started to write, it probably won't quite go with the sort of uh, kind of indie pop stuff that uh, is, my solo project or my other band or other bands I've worked with for the most part, but I've started to write sort of more atonal guitar pieces, which is a, a new thing for me. And just trying to, trying to be weirder, trying to, yeah, not think about the rules. Yeah. And uh, just, yeah, you know, sort of make, again, have that sort of boundary between noise and music be a little bit more fluid. I love that. I love that idea of like not coming in with a preconception of what music necessarily is. Yeah. I'm curious how that will show up also in the room. Like where are you in your, in like the journey to be a therapist? Like, have you started schooling? Have you started associate hours? Like, I was like, tell me more about that. <laughs> oh, so basically actually I'm, I'm so again, I've done other supplementary trainings previously that sort of, you know, relate to this, but I've actually just been, I'm going to be just in the fall taking my first music therapy sort of seminar class, but I've basically just been getting, cause I did a, my BA that I did, you know, years ago was in English lit. So I didn't have any, mm. and uh, you know, again, I have all the sort of, I have the formal classical guitar kind of stuff that is sort you know, is sort of this equivalent of a BA, but um I didn't have any of the I didn't have any psychs at all so I needed to I've actually needed to over the past year and a half just to just a ton of prerequisites <laughs> and uh and it, which is very tedious and of course there's a lot of overlap in a lot of them yeah. but but, <laughs> but uh worth it I think ultimately but yeah so yeah again I didn't have any psychs so I'm just I've just pretty much gotten to the end of finishing all those prereqs and I'm, yeah I was like, lucky you, all the prereqs for psych stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was like half another BA basically. So, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, because I'm curious how it'll show up in the room. Like, because one thing that at least I've noticed with my clients is that it's similar. Like, you're talking about going into like music lessons um, and even like music therapy in a way where you show up based on kind of what your client needs. Um, and so every session ends up being different and you are essentially improvising. It's because same thing. If you go into a session being like, well, I'm going to tell my client this, I'm going to tell them that, like, that's not really respecting like where your client's at. Um, <laughs> so <it's> like, <laughs> and I, I'm really, I, I was like, we'll have to do a follow-up interview when you, when you start doing more where it's like, see yeah. how improvising comes in when you're actually in the room with therapy clients and you're running music therapy because you're just kind of following someone's lead at that point to be like what tools do I have that can help you with what you're showing up with yeah for sure I mean I I definitely yeah I totally I mean having more of a pedagogical than a therapeutic background in a way I kind of I definitely you know think of 
critical pedagogy and, and the, you know, idea of more sort of, you know, dialogue based learning as opposed to the sort of <laughs> banking model of learning where you're just filling yeah. his head with stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, also, but I think even, but, but I think the difference will be, of course, I mean, as a, as a therapist, I, mean, I guess it depends on ultimately um, once I, you know, have a more, <laughs> once I have a, an established practice, practice as a therapist um of course it's 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 not directly correlated with 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 pedagogy because i'm not actually necessarily teaching person anything and of course it's i you know rather would be trying to give space for who knows all kinds of things maybe i would end up working in palliative care maybe i'll end up i mean i i presume that i'll continue to work mainly with children as i have done but mm-hmm. i'm open to all kinds of things and um yeah, I think that um, it, it's it's such a it's such a growing and expanding field to music therapy in particular and 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 arts therapies and I think uh, I think it'll be really interesting to to get more deeply into it as it is sort of just very um, obviously evolving in real time. Yes, and, and I'm sure that'll relate to my practice too. So yeah. I'm glad that music therapy is expanding and same with art therapy, because I think that or at least it used to be kind of like a misunderstood field. Like people are like, wait, so you just like make music with someone and that's the therapy. <laughs> like, <they're> like, wait. <laughs> no, I know. I know people, people have asked me about it and they're like, oh, so it's just going to be sort of kumbaya kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, well, maybe a bit, but <laughs> probably, probably other things as well. <laughs> maybe, maybe a few other camp songs thrown in just for fun. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, like accessing accessing the therapeutic side through the creative side. I mean, I'm not a trained music therapist. Um, however, I would say like in, in my practice, it's fun when people bring in things that are creative, like whether they bring in something they've made or they bring in media that they like. Um, I am definitely not above communicating with my clients in memes and TikTok videos. Like I definitely, <laughs> it's like text me being like, oh my God. And like, it's like a link to a TikTok. And I'm like, yeah, this, this scans. <laughs> Where, you know, like expressing yourself creatively is powerful, but also finding resonances in creative media that you see equally powerful sometimes. Um, but I think people oh, for have... sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> like I definitely what did I say to a client? Um their uh their ex had gotten back in contact with them, like they had deleted their socials, but then like their ex had, not my client. Um, and their ex then like reactivated their socials and followed my client again. And okay. um um and my client like did not want to talk to this person and I literally like <laughs> I just texted them the meme of like bonk go to horny jail my <laughs> <laughs> like, client thought that that was the funniest thing in the entire world um like they were just like that is because like they texted me like the screenshots of like the person following them again and they're like I know I don't want to talk to him like what do I do and like they had sent me like memes and tiktoks that they already liked so I knew like 
what they liked. And so I was like, normally I, I would not say in grad school have been like, you know, it's a great therapeutic intervention. <laughs> the bunk go to horny jail meme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I like how casual your, your, <laughs> your practice sounds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um my client was like that was exactly what I needed to remind me um why I am not going to respond to this dm <laughs> it's like there you go yeah <laughs> I'm sure no it's, yeah, it's funny I mean things like that definitely speak I mean it had, had you you know spelled it out it probably wouldn't have been as, as effective <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> like that'd be really funny if your therapist texts you like this reminds me of the meme bunk go to horny jail <laughs> yeah, yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like because my clients know like and and thankfully I have, I have wonderful clients they do not abuse their texting between sessions privilege um my clients know though that if they text me I I will respond usually within like 24 hours um and that it's kind of like is there a crisis situation that you need maybe a little bit of a top up on? <laughs> like, cause either I'll yeah. write back being like, let's chat about it in session. Thank you for telling me. Or it's like, you know, I'll affirm whatever they said, you know, I'm not going to do like, you know, major therapeutic interventions via text. Um, they know that if they message me something like, it's not like I'm just going to ignore them. Um, so it's funny. This all kind of reminds me of those, you know, those sort of, uh, you know, the, the sort of autocorrect, um memes or or you know where i've seen some recently where it's you know oh my therapist accidentally texted me (laughs) (laughs) oh my god one of my friends sent me a screenshot that that her therapist accidentally texted so far i knock wood i have not accidentally texted a client when i meant to text a friend i did oh my gosh (laughs) yeah i've not done that yet um I think it's because all of my work texts go through a different phone number that's on my phone. So it's in a different messaging app than like any of my friend texts. <laughs> so like, it's so funny. All, my, <laughs> my previous therapist who I saw personally for a long time, who was really helpful to me, he was, he was like an iron fortress, which is definitely what I needed at the time. But you know, ne- never, I, I, I don't know. I never learned anything about him. There was very limited information about him online. Yeah. But he was, he was amazing and he was very, he was super helpful, but uh, yeah, it's funny the, um, I mean, it's, there's, there's so, I mean, yeah, people, people have so, people have so many ideas about therapy in general, but oh my God, there's such a, such an incredible variation in terms of what you can, what you can get, you can end up with, what people's approaches are. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes like for some clients, the iron fortress approach works really, really well. Um, and for others, like my approach of like, here's a funny meme, don't text your ex. Uh, it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, depends on, it depends on your personal style. It depends on what you want from therapy. And I would say like, there is always an ethical limit of like, you don't want the therapy sessions to be about you as the therapist. It's always geared towards your client. Um, obviously you do get a lot out of helping people for sure. Um, but other than that, it's really interesting to me that like, I've definitely heard what you said, like therapists that are like very much like not self-disclosing at all. And really it's like, it kind of depends on your style and it depends on like how much of yourself do you want to bring into the room? How much serves your clients when you bring into the room or don't? Cause there are certain people I would say, like, I wouldn't text all of my clients. That is basically what I'm yeah, saying. For sure, like for sure. it depends on my relationship to that client and what's actually going to help them. Um, Cause also keep in mind that client's like 23. Um, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. 
And so it's like, I wouldn't say like, I wouldn't have that kind of rapport with say my client who's like 61. I would not message something like that to them. That wouldn't be helpful. Um, and so it's like, you kind of have to adjust being like, who's, who am I talking to? What do they need from me? Like what's, what's happening there? Um, though you may find as a musician, uh, I did show up on one of my clients' Spotify's, like, even though I have like a totally different like, <laughs> artist name to my name, like it was really funny because we were in session and he was like, he's like, yeah, you totally came up on my recommended. You're really talented. And I was like, thanks. I really appreciate that. And we just like moved on from there. Cause like, it would be silly for me to be like, that's not me. It's like, no, um, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so to yeah. Certain, yeah, to a certain extent, if you do have uh, music out there, even under a different name, people might stumble upon you. Like if you Google me, you'd find both. Um, but I'm not going to bring it up in session. Like I wouldn't be like, by the way, if you listen, yeah, to like, yeah check out my tunes, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> same thing. I can be with my clients who found my podcast, and they're like, "Oh my god, you're rad!" And I'm like, "Thanks for listening." And then same thing, like moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean uh yeah are you are you mainly doing therapy in the podcast at this point i know i've i've listened to some of your music or but are you seems oh, like you you're i mean the podcast obviously takes up a lot of time oh my god yeah i mean i appreciate you asking i pretty much i recorded a ton of new stuff actually over the last two years um but felt weird releasing stuff during the pandemic for multiple reasons, both like it seemed like just emotionally kind of a weird time. And also like, I didn't have the energy to really promote art while I was, like you said, making other art and my therapy practice went from me to me and one associate to now I have six people on my staff. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> surprise, people are unwell during a pandemic. Who knew? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so I have still been making music and I actually have recorded a few videos and it's like, I'm just kind of sitting on stuff until I really have um, the emotional and logistical time to do it justice, putting it out into the world, but it is there. That's the thing. I never stopped making it. Um, but then like, like you said, obviously like the podcast does take up time and then my practice, like, yeah, it was just the season for that. I'm very much like, you have to just pay attention to like, okay, what, what season is it? Okay. This is clearly this season. <laughs> like, is this the season to release music? No, we can continue to make music. That's never going to stop. But is this the season to release it? Maybe not right now. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> let's go off on that for a second. This other thing is going really fast. Um, so now that that's kind of more, now that I have more of a handle on that, I can dedicate more like emotional and brain space to then like, oh, how do I want to release these songs? Um, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Have you encountered anything like that? Like in your kind of like balancing kind of your work and creative life? Do you ever kind of... Yeah almost like run out of bandwidth for one of them, but you know, it's not that you're going to not do that forever, but just like right for that moment. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my, my, I think my main, um, my main objective will always be to, or, or the most, I'm, I'm sure this will, I mean, of course I also want to be a good music teacher and a good, uh, you know, play person with <laughs> noise club kind of stuff. And ultimately a good, therapist but I the thing that preoccupies me the most and has since I was very young is wanting to write songs and I, and I think that 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 won't ever change probably and yeah I just I I also again knew that I uh 
I, I write better songs when I'm also involved in something that seems very community oriented. And, um, and I think that, uh, so I definitely feel as though, I guess it's not that I, that I, you know, have more bandwidth for one of the things that I'm doing than the other, you know, again, over the past uh, year and a half or so, I've been doing all these courses. I've also been doing lots of, you know, session work. Uh, I just started to play, you know, shows again in person. I've been doing, you know, a lot of uh, live streamed shows and that sort of thing, or other sort of, you know, Instagram or whatever kind of stuff previously. But um, I think I thrive actually on doing a bunch of things. I think that in the past, it's been when I'm only doing, this is a this is a real, uh, <laughs> getting back to your question. Basically, in the past, when I've done only music, I have felt uninspired. At the times when, mm-hmm. I, when, I, thought mm-hmm. I, was, when I was in my you know, mid to late 20s, I did you know, tons and tons of t- touring in North America and Europe with, with, with bands, uh, mainly with my band Vesuvio Solo, but also with, uh, yeah, some other Montreal-based artists that I used to play with a fair bit. And... Yeah. And when I was just, you know, doing, doing music all the time, whether it was on tour or, you know, doing tons of session work or I very quickly felt kind of uh, unstimulated. It's like, I need that, need the balance between, I think because music is a very, um, like there's always a sort of matter of something sort of, you know, bubbling up from within me that sort of comes out as, you know, ideally as some sort of inspired musical gesture or song or performance or whatever Mm -hmm. I need to, because it feels like such a sort of introverted kind of thing in a way it's very, I I feel like I need the balance of the more community focused, uh, you know, kind of stuff too. And then I feel sane if I have that. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I can <laughs> very, as I think a lot of, uh, you know, artists can relate to, I'm sure you can too. I've very quickly when I've gotten into a songwriting hole that I try to push beyond its expiry date, I yeah. feel, you know, just so neurotic to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the sort of feeling I want to avoid for sure. Yes. Yes. And that emphasis on kind of like community and inspiration, it's like there does have to be a balance of when you're working on music, that's a wonderful thing. But if you're only doing that, it's almost like the way I think about it is I have to kind of like fill my cup up elsewhere. It's like whether it's through another either occupation or volunteering or whatever it is, it's like I have to do something outside of that so that then I can go back into it. It's like kind of like when you're swimming, you have to like you know, if you're, you have to take your arm out of the water for a second to put it back in. It's like, yeah, you're just sort of flailing around non-directionally uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or drowning in the worst case scenario. Yeah. Oh, true. Yeah. I, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, I I've always said that like, Sometimes my music brings me money. Sometimes it doesn't bring me money. And either way, I, I make it. Um, I would make music regardless. And so it's like, 
when I turn towards other things, like even when my music is making me money, I like to do other things because it gives me that, that inspiration. It gives me that, like, you know, the upward part of the stroke, and then you can come back down and then you work on the music part. And then like, you come back out and do something else. And it's like, then you do the music part. Um, because yeah, like you said, it can sometimes feel either uninspired or it's a, there's a Billie Eilish line in the new song that she just released. That's a, what did she say? It's like, the things I once enjoyed just keep me employed or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm also currently teaching a lot of, just as, a, as an aside, teaching a lot of uh, Billie Eilish songs on the guitar too, of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I love her. Like as, as an LA native, seeing like, like another LA native rise like that. And especially I'm like, I wish she had been around when I was a teenager. Like I would have loved her. Like I'm not a teenager and I'm just like, heck yeah. <laughs> like, I really loved, yeah. When I first heard the, uh, what's the song? Uh, My Future. Yeah. I, I thought, oh, wow. I really like how this has the sort of the quality of a standard. Like I could yeah. have seen Frank Sinatra sing it or something. Yeah. yeah. I like that there are some, some, some qualities like that reemerging in pop music again, where it's, yeah like just this is so singable this is such a song yeah it's cool yeah like I think that she and her brother are both just so talented and it makes me really happy to see that that's kind of like the talent that's rising I hope that more people like Billy like younger women are rising up like that like I hear like other writers like that and I'm just like yes (laughs) like like more of this please um yeah, That's, I'm so happy that your your students are requesting to learn Billy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course they are. <laughs> oh my gosh! But, but yeah, I. Um, sorry, we did. It felt like you had another question in there buried, or maybe maybe I had another one for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's, um, I was thinking about what you were talking about in regards to. There was a different thing that, okay, train of thought, where'd you go? My train of thought just went in like five different directions as though it were like the worst trolley conundrum. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I was like, oh no, where go train of thought? Um, Yeah, you were talking about like kind of touring and then you were talking about doing like live streaming and things like that. And it popped in my brain of like, how has it been during the pandemic? Because also you said you were doing like, the noise jams before and now you can't how has that impacted what you're doing and in a way like how has it changed how you view yourself because now you're more of like a student and like an online musician and it's like how did that change your perception of yourself well I guess you know in a, in a I've been I've been privileged enough to have been able to you know throughout throughout the pandemic even when I've had to you know, every, when everything moved online, I've, I've been able to live in a few different places. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> not because I have all kinds of, uh, <laughs> I actually grew up in a, in a low income single parent family, but, uh, but uh, I, I was, yeah, I was just able to, uh, with my, my, my partner is actually, uh, she's a PhD student in New York City. And oh, wow. we had, um, she had, been, we were actually intending to move to New York, um, this fall because she has to do a lot of in-person research to finish her dissertation, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of, which is a sort of comparative 
study between uh, affordable <laughs> for the affordable housing crises in New York City and Toronto. Oh and um, so and so she has that sort of, you know, dual national perspective going on, which is which is cool, cool. Um, because, yeah, I think we all need to be more internationalist when it comes to, uh, you know, looking at and, and uh, looking at these things and trying to change things for the better. And I think. Yeah, so we would have ended up there. Instead, we ended up for a few months, her and I, uh, living in a small city in Ontario near Toronto named Peterborough, which is partially where she grew up and where her parents are now, and uh, and just crashing with her folks for a bit and going back and forth between, it's, instead of going to New York City, going back and forth between this small city, Peterborough and Montreal, and which oh, wow. was you know, again not the not the experience that I expected. I, I thought that that we would we would end up in in you know and, and her and I both have a lot of good friends in in New York and we were going to end up there for you know a, f- a few months at least potentially ultimately settle there and um, so yeah things were upended of course as they were for but, but the way in which things were upended for me were much more palatable than for a lot of people so i am very thankful but um yeah moving to entirely online and then in the context of kind of going back and forth between different places and being where i didn't expect it to be and having things yeah. change so much reminded me of of being a being a kid actually when i i moved i went back and forth between my my parents split up when I was really young. And then I went back and forth between my moms and my dads. And I actually liked it. I mean, of course, a lot of children of split up or divorced parents don't, but I really loved the, 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 the just being sort of constantly on the move as it were. And maybe that also relates not just geographically, but maybe that also relates to why I want to, I have a compulsion to do multiple things. (laughs) have them feed each other <laughs> but so I yeah I mean I, I like being I like being on the move both geographically and also sort of in what I'm doing you know professionally and and just you know in in all senses I guess so yeah uh, I guess it just you know the the effect of it yeah that's sort of the more group oriented stuff I was doing with kids and families and community centers and so on and also pu- uh, public schools too completely ended um and I you know went again I, I I was teaching online a lot more a lot of more private music students and then also doing these courses and then also working on songs and working on r- recording my uh my next record uh from which I've released one single so far I'm actually releasing another one next Thursday August 12th and then the, the actual record, uh, you know, who knows when I'll release it at some point. So that'll be my second solo record. Um, but yeah, the uh, I guess that the this sort of, you know, living through the pandemic taught me that I or it gave me a sense of gratitude that I that I I mean, I certainly don't like the uncertainty related to the virus or all the horrible things that it's produced, of course. But I but the uncertainty related to my own that I can, I can sit with easily and actually feed off of well, like the, uh, you know, a lot of uncertainty as it relates to my own life. And then it can like, that it can stimulate me creatively. I wrote a bunch of new songs and I got to recording them quickly with my, uh, my friend, uh, Cadence Weapon, who's a, who's a Toronto based rapper and, and producer. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, who's actually currently up for the, he's shortlisted for the Polaris Prize, which is sort hey. of the indie music prize in Canada and uh, for, for his most recent record. And so, you know, working with him a lot and uh, other, now, now I feel like I need to give shout outs to other musicians. <laughs> <laughs> Calvin Hartwick, who was the engineer in Toronto, who he and I worked with. And, and before that, I was working with a guy named Alex Crow in Montreal and uh, also uh, doing a lot of shows and, and music videos and other things with uh, my friend and uh, uh, sometime producer who just goes by the name Margot, who's a originally from Chicago, Montreal-based DJ producer. And then my old bandmate, uh, Tom Gillies as well, who, I mean, we've helped, helped each other with our own solo projects off and on. And, and, uh, and my friend Adam Wilcox too, has always workshopped all of my material and, and, and done demos with me and all kinds of things. And, Oh my God, I could name so many people, of course. And I know that's not what you're asking me to do, but once I got <laughs> you're like, I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll. <laughs> I better not offend anyone here. <laughs> oh. But I know, but I meant it all genuinely. I mean, all of those people and so many others are, I mean, again, I mean, music, music itself, as much as I was talking about it as, you know, having to do in large part with some sort of inspiration bubbling up within me. My God, of course, it's such a community oriented art and uh, you know whether it's playing shows or working with other people I for one am not a very good producer or engineer for one thing and I've always worked with lots of amazing producers and engineers and you know and, and uh, also playing with other with other bands in Montreal or doing session work with people is so endlessly stimulating for me getting outside of my own little navel gazing thing and playing someone else's music for a change is so great and has, as you know, has, has inspired me to write songs so often. So yeah, I mean, that, that balance between my own inspiration and the community for sure is really important, but you know, I mean, at the end of the day, what I'm most thankful for is, is having, you know, having a really strong community. And uh, mm -hmm. of course that's what any musician needs to, uh, you know, not only have an audience, but to, you know, get their, get their stuff out there and be inspired and, yeah. So it's been, it's been hard, obviously, Zooming all the time as we're doing right now. Yes. For, for so long now. <laughs> and I really want, by the way, I don't know if this is something I heard that they were, there was some, some thought of, or that there, there's maybe an app being developed where you can jam with people that's sort of Zoom for, <laughs> for musicians, or you can yes. or whatever with people where there's not this, the delay or the sound. Oh my God, the latency. Cause yeah, like yeah. my mixer, and this was amazing. Um, my mixer and I had only met like once in passing really before the pandemic. And then he mixed pretty much my whole record, like remotely. Um, there's still one song that I'm working on, but like, it was great because there's this website where you can stream onto your audio system, what someone else is like playing on theirs. So he would just be like playing me the mix from his rig and I could hear it at mine. So that way, if I had mixed notes in the moment, like we didn't have to be in the same room, I could just be like, oh, this is standing up to me or, oh, that thing's going on. It's like what we would just wow. do. Yeah. 
we would just be like texting or like on the phone while I was listening to the mix, but through my computer. So that way it's like, I was listening on my monitors in my space, or I'd be listening on my headphones and texting and like, so this, is a, this is a revelation to me. Yeah. I'll get the website for you. It was really, it yeah. was really useful because like, it doesn't really solve the like latency jamming portion, Yeah, but it does yeah. solve the like, here's what I'm doing on my computer and then you can play it. And then the other person can then like give feedback or like, if you both have a session pulled up, you can add stuff and then each listen to what the other person was doing. So it's like, it's kind of like an interesting workaround. You can't like jam traditionally, but it's like, you can at the very least, like it's better than being like, well, I'm just going to email you this MP3. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. Are there the endless Wii transfers? Oh or- my God. And it's yeah. like final mix, final mix two, final, the final one, <laughs> final <laughs> mix three with a snare down final. For my current project, we have different- <laughs> I know. Oh my God. We have like, we have like a roughs folder mixes and then. <laughs> masters you know all these different things and and just folders full of endless versions of the songs and it's yeah yeah. yeah. I love how like every musician has that that like it's all of our like weird dirty secrets that there's like folders on our computer that are like the rough mixes the rough rough mixes the demo rough mixes (laughs) (laughs) by the time I release something at that point people have no idea that there's been like 17 variations on it (laughs) I've overheated so many computers I think entirely just because I had so many (laughs) audio files on them even though I back everything up on an external hard drive and on the cloud and everything but it's yep I, I still just I go through computers like crazy. Yeah, that, that's the same with me. I just had to clear off some of the folders on on my laptop, and it was painful. Even though I know I have double backups of everything, I was like, "What if I need to have that?" And I'm like, "Pam, you don't. You don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're the, okay." The, <laughs> yeah, the, the the pathological hoarding is a big thing. Yeah. With <laughs> <laughs> Miles, yeah. Ableton will thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, so relatable. But yeah, that's a revelation about that. Yeah, please send me that. <laughs> I absolutely need that link. Yes. I was like, oops, sorry. Loud, loud helicopter going by or plane. No, definitely a helicopter. That's so LA to be like, sorry about the helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I didn't hear it at all, surprisingly. Yeah, I guess that's. I, I have the window open because see previous about no air conditioning. It's actually when you're in the hills, it really doesn't matter that much. It's actually quite nice. Um, yeah. It sounded so bougie, but like it really, <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to turn on the AC because there's the breeze that comes through the hills. The only problem is then it's like, and there's the helicopter and there's my neighbor's wood chipper. And there's like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so do you live like in Laurel Canyon or something or are you? Um, I'm currently like, I actually usually live in, um, kind of just in the flats of WeHo actually right down okay. to Laurel. Okay. Um, so I'm right at the base of those Hills in my condo usually, but right now, um, I'm up in Elysian Heights. So kind of in the Hills actually above Dodger stadium. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. beautiful up here. I'm staying at a friend's and, um, it's really, really, really lovely. But yeah, I'm learning kind of the dynamics because I grew, even though I grew up here, I didn't grow up in this particular area. So at first I was like, oh my God, no air conditioning. How do you live? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I grew up in the valley, like in the hills okay. in Tarzana, which like if you didn't have air conditioning, you you might perish. Um, and so <laughs> I was like, oh, this is different. One, it's like 20 degrees cooler Fahrenheit, but also there's actually like a constant breeze that comes off of the ocean like so far the air has not been still in the month that I've been here wow yeah yeah that's that's crazy 
Yeah. So, so sorry. So the no air conditioning is, uh, is because that you can't hook it up there. Um, it does exist in one of the rooms. Yeah. There's like a wall unit, like one of the, up, like they have them in a lot of European countries now. It's like, it's called yeah. like split AC where it's not like a window unit, but it's like an electronic um, wall unit above, usually above the window or above a door. Um, but it's in like, I'm staying in the bottom floor of a home that's been converted into like its own home essentially. And that air conditioning unit is in the main room of said house. But the main room is actually the smallest room and the room that I use the least. So it's kind of like that I can make this one little area be like air conditioned and that's it. And I'm like, this is this is vaguely pointless, question mark. <laughs> so <laughs> like yeah. oh, I can make this like one like maybe like seven to ten foot space air conditioned and the rest of it is not. So I, I'm just not going to. That's silly. Why would I do that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I have a, I have a movable unit in my apartment. It's funny. I didn't get air conditioning for such a long time. And I think it was just in, I mean, Montreal always has hot summers and insanely cold winters, really hot and humid yeah. summers. But, um, but, uh, I didn't, I didn't even get an air conditioning until, or my, my partner and I didn't get air conditioning until like, I think 2019, which was, wow. it was just, I, we were just like, well, no, like we got, you know, we got to be interviewed, which was very noble, but we absolutely needed it by the time that, I mean, that was when, well, for, for one thing, the effects of climate change really started to be felt in Montreal, finally, even though Montreal yes. is sort of little enclave that's isolated from, you know, forest fires or floods or all the more egregiously, pronounced uh, effects of climate change but we were like no yeah we do need it's 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 ironic of course getting air conditioning for the first time as you're becoming <laughs> more aware that climate change is really affecting also your yeah <laughs> your I was just thinking that where it's like same thing where I hadn't had like a proper air filter in my home I mean there's like air filters in like the the ducts and whatnot but I had to buy like a pretty heavy duty air filter last year because of the fires that I was then experiencing like allergy symptoms, essentially like in my own home, even with like the doors and windows closed because of the air quality. And so I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, I bought an air filter and it really did make a big difference, but it was, um, man, 2020, there was, there was like a few days where I, I wish I were exaggerating, but like, you kind of like, you couldn't see the sun. Like it was kind wow. of like yeah orange one day. And then like, a, and then the next day it kind of was like, you were inside like a hard boiled egg yolk. Like it was like, no. it was, <laughs> it, it was not optimal. It was like the time when we were like, cool. So we can't go like inside because there's a pandemic, but we can't go outside because it's like the apocalypse um so question mark um and so that was what, yeah, thankfully, oh yeah. <laughs> thankfully i'd invested in like an air filter but i hadn't used it it was like the prior two years i'd invested in it when there were really big fires in malibu um but i didn't have to use it yeah. like yeah it's it, the the irony of having to use an electronic device to make your habitat livable because your habitat has become unlivable because of electronic devices. Like, um, just that's a horrible Ouroboros right there. Yeah, I know. I know. I really hope, uh, <laughs> some major action begins to be taken by, uh, yeah. 
yep. all of us, well, mainly those in power. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the thing that I advocate for individual action, but looking at the stats, it's, you know, yes, individual action does make a difference and it makes us have a sense of agency, but it's like, it's really like big corporate action that's going to get the job done there. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, I try to, you know, be kind with kind of individuals, but ruthless with systems when I think about these things. I love that. Kind to individuals and ruthless with systems. That is the brilliant way of describing it. <laughs> yeah. Oh I, and not only when I think about these things, but when I think about most things, I dare say. <laughs> yep. Yep. That yeah. checked out. That, uh... <laughs> <laughs> this scans. Um, <laughs> it's interesting to think about that in a podcast that started based on, I wouldn't say an idea of hyper individualism, but on the idea that like initially it was about how our identity sometimes becomes fractured when we're in multiple spheres. And then like over the course of the pandemic, it's more been like, so society fell apart. How do we define ourselves? Um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's it's so fascinating to me that you bring up repeatedly, you've brought up community and also comfort with uncertainty. And I think that those are essential in how to like redefine ourselves of like that it can't just be on an individual basis and we can't necessarily rely on certainty. So it has to be like it has to be community oriented. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think being I mean, you know, on the one hand, some of the ways in which I may be comfortable with certain kinds of uncertainty are due to my, you know, relative privilege, but I think other ways have to do with, you know, I want to be comfortable with, with getting out of my little bubble of false certainty and maybe, you know, being more, uh, you know, realizing more and more that we're all in this together. And I think it has been obviously, oh my gosh, we're, we have a long way to go, but I mean, I, I, it's been nice to see at least people of, you know, our generation be more, awakened to you know certain realities and needing to needing to think about these things more collectively and that we are all in this together for sure yes i i wholeheartedly agree because as much as yes we have our individual experiences and i'm glad that you brought up the idea of privilege because i think a lot of people's like when they hear that they think that you are um accusing them of something or it's a bad thing it's more just an acknowledgement of like these are the circumstances that i have that may actually be very different from someone else's circumstance um and just kind of acknowledging like hey i want to get outside of that bubble because i have this set of circumstances but someone else's might be really different <laughs> and i want to know how to actually best interact with them because we are all in this together and so then you need to understand like oh well what are, what are their circumstances um and i love what you said about being ruthless with systems i'm like yes 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 yeah. <laughs> more, of <that. laughs> more of that please <laughs> oh yeah. well i really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me on the podcast today it was absolutely my pleasure this was really fun i like how you know free-ranging it was and and just uh, you know, conversational, not like a, not like a conventional podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. 
This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode.